All right, we're in first trimester lesson two. Your lesson should read how to catch the spirit, and in parentheses it'll say DNA, and we'll, we'll define that in just a minute of the pastor. How to catch the spirit of the pastor. We mentioned last week that everything revolves around vision, and God uses a person to articulate vision. He gathers around those that the vision resonates in and connects them together. And then as a mighty army, they begin to move into the promises of God where he fulfills a corporate vision as well as bringing to pass many individual visions as well. And uh, we mentioned that, spent a long time on vision, about what it meant to catch the vision, but, but there's an impartation that has to happen as well. And so we're going to build on every lesson that we teach. And so if something seems as if... Uh, is a gap in your understanding. Well, it could well have been that we mentioned it last week, and so you may need to review what we said last week, or it may well be that it's something yet to come in the weeks ahead. But if you know me very well, you know that I won't leave too many gaps untied up. So we will get there. I want to read to you a couple quick passages of Scripture if you brought your Bibles tonight. I got to do this quickly because we want to be done in good order. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. And as you're going to 2 Kings, it says in the introduction, to be successful in vision, you have to understand how God transfers his spirit and anointing upon us in a multiplied fashion. Now, most of us have grown up, and it is true that God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, and he can pour out his spirit upon anyone and everyone, any moment he chooses to do that. And that is certainly taught in the scripture. But there's another precept that oftentimes gets overlooked, and I believe it to be very important with regards to how God, how God by his spirit, uses people in order to accomplish his will in the earth. And so we're going to talk a little bit about catching, really it's God's spirit through the spirit or the DNA of the leader, what we might call the spiritual dad, the pastor. And we're going to teach a little bit of this. And as you begin to see it in Scripture, I believe your eyes will be open to see some things you might never considered before. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, most of you know the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah had what was called a school of the prophets. He had many, at that time it would have been predominantly men, I'm quite sure, but many young men who were aspiring prophets, and they were being mentored, and they were being taught, and they were being trained by Elijah. One of those young prophets was Elisha. So Elijah was mentoring, so to speak, Elisha. And as we get to 2 Kings 2, we're beginning to see that Elijah is about ready to be taken away. He knows that God's going to come and carry him away, take him away, and he basically, to this group of uh, protégés, he looks at them, I believe it was at Jericho, and he tells them all just to stay here, I'm going to go on. But Elisha looks and says, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to keep going with you. And as he's going with Elijah, um, there's some interesting things that begin to unfold. In verse 12, um, we begin to see the exact moment when God sends the chariots of heaven to take away Elijah. Now, now prior to this, Elijah's trying to discourage Elisha away, and finally, Elisha coughs up what he wants. And he says to Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, I want a double portion. And maybe some of you have been around these, our circles long enough to know that, that there's been a lot of double portion teaching that has gone on. But we're going to find out exactly what double portion meant, because Elijah says these words. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Now, that's real important because he didn't say you've asked an impossible thing, but you've asked a hard thing. In other words, this isn't automatic. If you want a double portion, you've got to begin to understand this isn't automatic. It's not what we would define as easy or maybe even simple, not that it's complex either. But, but there's more to it uh, than you might think. And so Elijah says to Elisha, if you're with me when the chariots of heaven come, then you'll receive a double portion. Now, look what it says in verse 12 says that Elisha sees this happening, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now listen, verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah. Now a mantle is not what you have over your fireplace in this instance. 
A mantle is almost like a, a, a type of stole or a type of scarf. I don't know how, but it would be, it would be something that they would wear around their neck. And so it says that he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, had, uh, when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now listen to verse 15. Fascinating. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him. Now this was the group that did not travel on. They just waited. But Elisha went on. But when they saw what happened when Elisha struck the waters, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now let me explain what happened here. And we're going to pick this up a little bit later in the lesson. There was literally something transferred from Elijah into Elisha that was so apparent that when he struck the waters, notice what they said. They didn't say, Elisha got the Holy Ghost. They didn't say that, did they? No, 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 no. They said what was on Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, has now rested on Elisha. And let me just share this with you. This is what I believe a double portion to be. A double portion isn't twice as much of the Holy Ghost as you might have thought you could have had. I've heard that taught. Double portion was just getting twice as much of God as you thought you had originally. Well, no. I'll tell you what a double portion is. A double portion is this. It's when you, as an individual, have come before the Lord and, and you've received your portion from the Lord and from His Spirit. That's a portion. But the double portion is when you have received when you have received the DNA or when you have received the spirit or the impartation from the one who has mentored you or led you or imparted to you, so you come forth not only in the power of what would be considered your own anointing, but that you would have your own anointing, plus you would come out with the anointing of the spiritual dad or mom or the mentor, whatever that may be. You understand that when Elisha came out, he did some incredible things, but he also did twice as much that's recorded as Elijah did, twice as powerful. You know, that's why I often believe, for instance, why, why is Joel Osteen so much more powerful, it seems, in some ways, than even his dad, as great as his dad was, John Osteen? You know why? It's because dad downloaded into son. So son has his own, but son came forth with even more than his own. I believe that's why when you have generational ministers even come through a biological family, they, they become even more powerful than their dad. I believe my sons and my daughter can be more powerful than their mom and dad because they can have their own anointing Plus, they've been downloaded, our DNA as well. So when Clay or Tyler or Kalen come forth, people may say, I, in fact, this has happened. I've had people say, Pastor, Pastor Kevin, I see you on your son. But it's not like it's just you alone. Even my own dad, when he watched my son on television, said, you know, it was like a flashback. I saw some of you in him, but yet there's him too. Now, I'm telling you, even the world can begin to see these things. Now, now the reason that happens is because, how many of you know, they grew up in my house and they were with me all the time. Now, <clears throat> that works maybe in more dramatic ways with a biological setup, but folks, Elijah and Elisha weren't kin. They weren't family. There was a connection, a covenant connection that was made that allowed that download to take place in a very dramatic way. Here's the good news, if, if you can get a hold of this precept, that if you'll allow certain people into your life to input and impart and download into your life, if you will choose to arise and even serve and, and, and help and be an extension of that particular ministry, you can come out with twice as much. Very few people get that revelation, though. They're all about... Me and God. It's me and God against the world. Well, okay. But God has put a precept in here that oftentimes gets overlooked. Now, let me show you this again in the book of Numbers. This is a great passage in Numbers. See, I, I don't know if this fires you up, but every time I get into this stuff, it kind of fires me up. Because you know what it tells me? It tells me that the people that I have served through the years, 
that if I served and if I've, if I've helped and if I've linked up and if that stuff's been imparted to me, that, that I can literally come out with twice as much of what would have been available. Now, listen to this. In Numbers chapter 11, God's working now with Moses talking about leadership. His, his father-in-law, Jethro, the Midianite, had already told him how to set things up within the nation of Israel. He began to talk to him about finding what they called elders, uh, mature men within the uh, uh, a nation of Israel. But there was more to it than just finding these people. And we see what sometimes gets overlooked. In verse 16 of Numbers chapter 11, it's the Lord who's speaking. So can we say that's authority if God's speaking? He says to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be elders of the people. Now notice the people didn't vote on the elders, did they? Thank you. I know you know this. They didn't vote. What did God say? God said, you got Moses. You go find those whom you know. Now, you may think you're one, but it's important that he who leads knows you're one. Whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. And, and let me just say this, that you don't have to walk around with the title. If you are one, you can't hide. I mean, it'll come forth. People that have to run it up the flagpole and say, God, they're always talking about God called me, God this, God that, God that, he's on my life. Listen, if God's on your life, we'll all see it soon enough. And I'll tell you how we'll see it first is when you have a humble servant's heart. Amen. In the nursery, that's right. He says, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, bring them to the tabernacle, the meeting that they may stand there with who? You. Now, you see, people, I, I, I'm just, I, I cannot help but teach this for just a minute. Because I have sat in, in board meetings and elder meetings for years of being a pastor. And I've listened to people around board tables say, we're, we're the voice of the people. Where did you get that from? You're not the voice of the people. You're an extension of the pastor. That's who leadership is. Leadership, you know, we, we bring American ideas into the church. So what we've done is we bring the dysfunctional methods of Washington, D.C., right? Is anybody going to debate me on the functionality of our government right now? Does anybody even want to go there? No, 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 no. But we'll bring that right into the church. And we'll do democracy and we'll vote and we'll have somebody and we're gotta, and we always hear this checks and balance, checks and balance. I understand. You know why you do that in civil government? You do that in civil government, government because there's a carnal heart and the ruler of this world. Now in the church, it's, it's not set up like civil government. God, God plants a man and plants a vision and out of that he begins to draw leadership to that and they stand there with you, not against you. All right? So when I look for leaders, I, this is really funny. I had one guy one time, this is years ago, he came up and go, I, you know, I think God's calling me to leadership and I, you know, and I just want you to know if I'm a leader, I'm not going to be a yes man. <laughs> well, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. So I guess you won't be there. What, do you want someone that's just going to rubber stamp everything? No, but I, I don't need the devil in the midst of leadership either. I can listen to other ideas and I can listen to other things. I heard one guy said one time, well, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. I don't want you here. I, I, I get enough of the devil that I don't need somebody who's vying for the position. But you see, these are the ideas. We, come, we think there's nobility and value in somebody raising up and going, I say no. Well, what good does that do? The last time they took a vote, remember, it was 10 to 2. Let's not go into the promised land. And that wasn't the will of God. I've seen more votes mess up the will of God than you can imagine. So anyway, that was free, not on my notes there. But this is what he says in verse 17. How does this work? He says, then I will come down and talk with you there. Now listen, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, you see what God says? God says, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to pluck 
whatever's on. Now, I understand. I'm not, I'm not claiming to be Moses, but listen to me. This is, this is leadership precept. God says, I'm going to come down, Moses, and I'm going to pluck the spirit that's upon you, and I'm going to start putting it on them. And once they get that spirit that's on you on them, they're going to link up, and they will bear the burden with you. They're not going to pull against you. They're not going to try to just stop and be a thorn in your side and, 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 and just be, you know, just always have a different attitude and spirit. And they're going to, they're going to be on the same page with you. And then look what happens. This is what's cool. Drop. I, I can't read. He goes through all of this stuff. And then in verse, um, about 24, it says, Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people, placed them around the tabernacle. Verse 25 is where it happens. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders, and it happened. When the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, listen, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp, the name of one was Eldad, the other was Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. The whole point being here is, is, that, is that none of them had a disposition to do prophecy. Moses is considered a prophet as well. None of them had that disposition. I don't know that they were necessarily called to that. But as soon as soon as that spirit came off Moses, it was kind of like splash over. And it came on them. They started doing what Moses could do. Now hear me, this is where we get messed up. Because suddenly, if it's like in America, they'd all of a sudden go, give me a van. I'm ready to hit the road. I can do what Moses can do. No, the only reason you could do what Moses could do is because the spirit that was on him got transferred to you. The minute you disconnect with the Moses, I'll assure you things will stop flowing. Now, that's not to say that there won't be times that will transition and ministries open and seasons change. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying, I'm trying to make a point in everyone that you can get a hold of before we go to, well, well, how does this work? When's it my turn and all the rest? First, before it gets to be your turn, let's make sure we get the foundation right first. Now, I call this, I wrote down here, catching a leader's DNA. DNA. Everybody knows what DNA is. You ever watch, you know, the, well, yeah, you probably ought not watch CSI, but everybody watched, you know, there's about five different CSIs on now. and But we all know, that there's a DNA that you can use with which they can begin to identify where and what's connected. I call DNA divine necessary anointing. Just as you carry your parents' DNA in you. How many of you have met my dad? He's been here. Have you met some of you? Met my dad? Is it not true? We we kind of look alike, right? I mean, it's kind of. Well, we'll just leave it at that. It's just kind of. Why is that? Because there's some DNA of his in me. My mom's DNA is in me. I have, I have voice patterns that are like my parents. I have, I, have, I have actions that are like my parents. And some of it is because of environment, but some of it is because of DNA. And it's interesting that as you catch someone's spiritual DNA, that begins to happen as well. And we've mentioned this. Some of you now have been around, Trace and myself, for long enough that, that your vocabulary has changed. Your mentalities have changed. Your outlooks have changed. The way you look at things and address things. And, and, and maybe it was even imperceptible. It, it could have come through great difficulty, but I don't know. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's been a DNA download. And all of a sudden, you come into a situation, and this is fascinating. Because people, at first, they'll go, I wonder what pastor would do in this situation. And then after a while, they know exactly what to do. And they don't even do that thought process anymore. That's what you want in leaders. You want in leaders to, to, to have the ability that when they come into a situation, they, they aren't of a different spirit. They aren't just making decisions as, as they might see fit or in their immaturity. But there's been a download that has happened that they can begin to work and move and minister and, and, and decide because there's been this DNA transfer that has taken place. Now, let me just give you some things here in the notes that will really help you. And, and maybe I'll go ahead and make the leap to some practicality. Here at Legacy, of course, we, we want to develop all kinds of ministry areas. 
I mean, we, we have worship, obviously worship teams. We have connect leaders, small group. Um, you know, we have children's areas, youth areas. I mean, I, I, I can't go. We've got all different types of ministry areas, and, and we want even greater ministry areas. I mean, this is, this is something every local church wants. And realize we're only seven years old. So it's not as if we've got a hundred-year history with us, you know. But here's the deal. Some churches work like this. Some churches work like there's, it's like the pastor and the morning worship service is like the mothership. And then there's all these other ships that are sort of circling around it, but it's not really connected. I'll never forget, Bill Hybels told the story once, and it was when God began to speak to him about how for years he'd been doing some things wrong. But he met a, a friend of one of his children who had been going to the youth ministry. And so he was asking this uh, uh, it was a girl, it happened to be a girl, about how she met the Lord. And she said she met him, met the Lord at the youth ministry, and he was glad about that. And uh, asked then, uh, you know, now that she was out of the youth group, has, had she found a place to connect and, and be a part of, of, you know, the larger church? And she said, no, no. In fact, she acted like she didn't even know about Willow Creek. She knew about the youth ministry, but she didn't know much about Willow Creek. Well, why was that? Well, the reason was is because here was the mothership, and everybody else was just kind of doing their own thing in ministry. And he began to see after that, if you'll read his book, Courageous Leadership, he said it finally dawned on him that you can't do a ministry that way. Now, you'll get a lot of people come in your direction because what, what ends up happening is, is that you become, as a pastor, a facilitator of thousands of agendas. Are you following me? Well, I want to do this. Go do it. Well, I want to do this. Go do it. I want to do this. Go do it. And there's a thousand agendas that are happening. But the question isn't so much is everybody doing what they want to do. The question is how much impact, kingdom impact, is really happening within the people and the region that you're being planted in. And while I'm not saying that's evil, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's a philosophy, but I've come to understand that what God really wants to do is he wants to extend a vision. You can have 10,000 visions but not move two inches. Remember, Israel had 5 million people. 5 million people did not have enough wherewithal to get themselves out of their own bondage. But one man with a vision could step into the situation and as people linked to it, one vision could get them to the promised land. Now, that's revelation that has to come to us. And what happens is, is, is there needs to be a download into every ministry area, whether it's a connect group, whether it's the youth department, the kids department, whether it's benevolence or hospitality or the info desk or the greeters or the ushers or the worship team or whatever it may be. There's got to be a download that everybody's popping on what's going on. On in the vision. In other words, it's not that Lifehouse has its own vision. It's that Lifehouse is an extension of Legacy's vision, which is articulated through the man God has set in the house. Are you following me? You say, well, how can that work? It's because a download of DNA has taken place. So, how does it all work practically? Well, let me go through this quickly. First off, as we mentioned Last week, he got a link up to a vision. Elisha would eventually eclipse Elijah, but it was based on the relationship that they developed. Elisha was enlarged by their relationship. He received experience, knowledge, and wisdom that stretched him to receive twice as much. See, that's why you need to link. I, I, I believe everybody in this room has been given vision from God. I believe that. And some of you, man, your heart's pounding with it and you, and you want to obey God and you want to, want to step out and follow the Lord and do some things, whether it be by way of ministry or even by career or job. I mean, vision can touch all sorts of areas. But listen to me. God works through relationship. And he said in Luke 16, he said, unless you are faithful in that which is another man's, you'll never be given that which is your own. And the reason he says that is not just to frustrate you and me. But he does that because when we link up, you literally can be enlarged in greater ways than you ever imagined possible because of that precept. Secondly, you got to 
you got to recognize anointing. Now, Elijah was a real human being. Let's use him for the example. And he had bouts, we know in the Bible, with depression and pity parties and self-doubts. But his clay feet did not diminish Elisha's respect for him. You must be able to see the anointing on a person's life and not trip on their humanity. I'm going to tell you this right now. Trace and I... We are the mom and the dad. We're, called, we're even called a spiritual mom and dad. We just, we just view kind of legacy as, as a family, and, and it works kind of like, you know, a mom and a dad. We're just sort of the spiritual mom and dad of the house. People even have called us that. You know, you're my spiritual dad. You, you, you're my spiritual mom. You know, Paul looked at Timothy, and he said, my son. And they weren't biologically connected, but he called him son. Elisha, when Elijah was being taken away, cried out. You know what he cried out? He said, my father, my father. You know, we've weirded this stuff out, and I understand there can be weird cultic things that can take place. But, but you know, we're not talking about cultic things. We're, talk, we're talking about powerful spiritual precept that can, that can radically change our lives. And, and, and the key is, is, is that you, you've got to begin to see past our clay feet. And begin to see what God does and has done in our life. You know, a man or a woman of God will forever frustrate you until you can break through, break through familiarity and even the humanity, and you can begin to see God in a person. I think that's one of the greatest snares the enemy has for all of us. We're, we're, and now, I'm not saying we should have character, we should have stability. Sure, there are things that will disqualify you from leadership. No doubt about it. Paul said himself, he said, uh, I, I need to take care lest I be disqualified. Paul, an apostle, said it was possible for him to be disqualified. So I, I fully admit that, that you have every right to have an expectation that there be integrity and morality and uprightness and, and character and all those things. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you get to live any way you want and, 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 and somehow be a leader. But understanding that there are going to be times I'm going to be aggravated. And, you know, one of the bad things about being a bear is I don't hide that well. I mean, I'll get a face on me and everybody knows when I'm irritated. Now, now you, 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 got, you got to change your face, honey. And, and a lot of times I'll say, I'm not mad. Well, let your face know. <laughs> because I'm telling you, everybody knows right now you're not happy. Now, listen, now, now. There are people, now most of you in this room are probably mature enough to be able to handle the knowledge that pastor could get mad, and does. And, and maybe you've even been in a mo- moment when I have. Now, now, mature people obviously handle that, but you know, I know there are some people that they're just, they're so immature, they can't, they can't handle anything. They couldn't handle the fact that Tracy and I would have a fuss. They can't handle that fact. They can't handle the fact that... Uh, you know, that there, you know, that, that, that some, some, I didn't, I walked through a room and I didn't say, hey. I mean, can you imagine? So you've got to begin to develop an ability. You see, this was the key. Moses was not a perfect guy. Elijah was not a perfect guy. Paul was not a perfect guy. I don't even claim to be in these guys' categories. So let me tell you, I am not a perfect guy. Trace is not a perfect person. And you know what? You aren't either. And if God gives you influence and oversight someday, you'll be glad you practiced and sowed this. Because you've you got to get past the flesh at some point and begin to see God working in them. And, 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 and however God works in here, that's the part you've got to say, I want a, I want a part of that. I want a part of that. And you've got to recognize it. Number three, I'm hurrying. You've got to get released from an independent spirit. You will multiply who you are. If you're not linked up in a mentoring relationship under authority, you'll transfer that independence to those you input. One of the greatest immutable, unchangeable laws that God has put into the universe is the law of sowing and reaping. And, and I would just suggest this. I'm just going to throw this out as a suggestion, but, but always keep this at the forefront. I always ask myself the question, am I fighting the devil or did I sow this? Because some of you aren't fighting the devil. I'm sorry. It's not the devil. It's that you've got stuff in the ground that's coming up. And, and now, D-Day has arrived. Now, hear me. If you want to sow independence, you can do it. And, and you'll get away with it for a while, but there'll be a day that you'll want to gather something up. And the day you gather it up, God will give you exactly who you were. 
Isn't that true? Isn't it true we look at our kids and we kind of say this, we shouldn't make vows or judgments like this, but isn't it true we say one of these days you're going to have kids just like... Yeah, Isn't isn't it fascinating how we do get kids that were just like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's because we sowed it. Now, now we can, we can begin to dig some of that seed out, but a lot of times God, God, God doesn't change gravity just because we pray about it. Are you following me? And some of that, it, you, just, you, just, you just get through your harvest. And it reminds you, because if, you, if all you had to do was pray out of it, you wouldn't get rid of your independence. When you begin to be confronted with the very thing you are, what you do is you say to yourself, I ain't going to do that anymore. I'm going to put some good seed in the ground. So, so that, that's the problem with the American church. The problem with the American church, which is different than the church in Bible days, is that if you get irritated, you can pack your bags and, and you can go about 50 steps right over and find another church. And you go another 50 steps and find another one. Now, I understand everybody's got a vision. The kingdom is large. I'm not suggesting that if you made changes or you made switches that God wasn't in it. Listen to me carefully. All I'm saying is this, that there comes a moment that you have to say, I'm, I'm going to start doing it right, and now is the time to do it. I may not have, I, I've not done everything right. Can you believe that? Can you say amen? I mean, all right. Oh, well. The reason we've not won the world and brought in the harvest is because we've not received the revelation that comes from being in unity under authority. You've got to keep going. And then finally, D, it says here you've got to serve. Serve the vision. Serving is the way to greatness in the kingdom of God. You serve your way to an anointing. And I put down here 1 Samuel 22, uh, 1 through 2, which is about David and his 400 men, it says, in the caves of Adullam. And, and I oftentimes, and the reason we go through these processes is because, you know, when, when you go to a cave, how many of you know, if you have a choice between going to a palace or going to a cave, how many of you would choose palace? I mean, I would. I'm just, I mean, if I got a choice between, between Spring Hill Suites Marriott and Harry's Quick Motel, yeah, I know. I mean, you, you automatically know. That, that isn't going to be good. So how many of you would choose the Marriott? I mean, I, yeah, we'd choose the Marriott, wouldn't we? But, but a lot of vision doesn't start at the Marriott. A lot of vision starts in caves. And, you know, we were down at Fort Johnson Civic Center and Discount Furniture World and here at the mall. And you know what? There's going to come a day that God's going to open up that 11 and a half acres and we're going to put up a building to the glory of God, and it's going to have the bells and the whistles and everything that befits the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if anybody comes to me, I'm going to point you to Solomon's temple and remind you it won't cost just a percentage fraction of what God said to build with regards to a temple. But you understand that you can have incredible, wonderful, large bells, whistles, glitzy ministry, and, and, and people, I tell you what, people love to come to what's happening. But the question is, can you serve in a cave? Because you, that's how you know Who's got the heart? Because you find those servants. All David had to offer, let me tell you, I realize we don't have a lot to offer. All I have to offer most people is a vision. <laughs> Come to the mall, I got a vision. I mean, that's really, that's all we've got is a vision. But the ones that could catch a vision were the ones that would eventually be able to rule in the kingdom. Can I just share, this is good news, that you being here tonight Maybe this is your cave, but this is the good news. If you can come in a cave and, and serve through the cave period, uh, uh, the time period, you will rule. You will be a mighty man. You will be a mighty woman when we get to our Jerusalem. Praise God. Now, how do you link up with all of this? Let me give you the process. I put the scripture reference here, First Chronicles 12. I oftentimes use this um, same passage uh, in when I'm talking to new members, because it's, it's a passage about linking. And so it fits in a couple different scenarios. First Chronicles 12, verse 16. There's a great passage here about a guy by the name of Amasai. 
Now, I'm just going gonna, gonna to leap over to this, so I'm going to skip down here just a little bit. But there's a guy by the name of Amasai, and I'm just going to explain it as I walk through this. It says in verse 16, Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. Now, David, <clears throat> David had finally pressed through, and he had won some victories in battle. He pressed through his issues with Saul, and he's just about ready to become king. I mean, these were good days for David. And all of a sudden, this, this group, the sons of Benjamin, it says, come to David at the stronghold. Now, this is what's interesting, because the sons of Benjamin actually fought with Saul against David. So all of a sudden, the people who are fighting against you are now coming up and saying, I want to be with you. Now, how many of you know, it doesn't take much discernment to go, I may need to think about this. Now, you're shooting arrows at me last week. You, you were being critical of the ministry last week. You were dogging me at lunch. You were, you were, you were criticizing all that we were doing, and, and, and all of a sudden now you're coming up, and now you want to be a part. When I, when I know for a fact that, that, that you know, you'd had a group, and you were telling them how, you know, I was a cult leader. And I was crazy, but now you're coming. Now, this is, listen, that's exactly the sons of Benjamin are coming to see David. And it says, so David went out to meet them. That's a great verse because what David's saying is, we're going to have us a little visit. David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, if you've come peaceably to me to help me, My heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We're on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of the troops. Now let's go through this because here's what David's doing. He's beginning to ferret through how am I going to decide who's going to link up with me? Because how many of you know everybody, everybody's got a smile on their face. Everybody thinks you're the greatest thing since chip beef. Everybody thinks you're it. I've had, this is so, some of you will remember this, so I got to be careful how I say this, but some of you will remember being in a small group meeting where there's a person in that meeting that at the meeting said, oh, Pastor Baird, he's a prophet of God. He's going to, you know, he's going to reach Charleston. I am with him. I am with him. And two weeks later, he's gone. Well, how, how do you ferret through all of this? You just roll your eyes and go on and say, well, Or how do you ferret through it? Here's what David did. This is how you begin to receive. David's saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it. If we're going to connect, this is how we're going to do it. Number one, you must come in peace. That's what he said to Amasai. Basically, Amasai, if you're still wanting to war, the war is over. If if you're coming here to try to negotiate with me or think somehow you can kind of get me to see it Saul's way again, it's not going to work. You lost. We won you got to come in peace. We come in, you're linking up with me. I'm not linking up with you. You're linking up with me. Is there peace in your heart? There's no fuss in your heart. There's no criticism in your heart. There's no, there's no strife in your heart. Are you at peace? Are you at peace? I think that's the greatest place to be, don't you, is in peace? I want peace. I'm at peace. I want people to come in peace, number one. Number two, you have to want to help, Pastor, in the vision God has called the greater body to do. Um, That's what Amasai said, or David said to Amasai, he said, have you come here to help me? Now listen, David didn't say, I can facilitate you, man. I can get you planted and placed and we can work with you. You're an influencer and you you got a circle of about 20 people that you influence and so we'll get you and we can market this thing and do this right. No, 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 no. Have you come to help me? Help me. Have you come to help me? Number three, where's your heart at? Is your heart united in this to the vision? Where's your heart at? Sometimes that just takes time. You don't always know those things right off the bat. Number four, the relationship must be prompted by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that there was a place in this in verse 18 where it says the Spirit came upon Amasai. Now, I understand this, this is not the only work in town. We're not the only church in town. We are one of many churches doing a lot of great things. And we want to be an affirmer 
of that. You know, we, we want to break, Trace and I were visiting the other night, we, you know, break sectarianism. You know, I believe God can work in denominations and non-denominational settings. There's a lot of great things going on, and we can affirm that, but, but understand this is, this is this tribe. And, 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 and while we can affirm all that goes on, we believe that God's doing something here. And if you're linking, then, then that has to be prompted by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's in here somewhere because he's prompting me to link up. Number five, you got to be teachable. In the vision of the local church, you got to be teachable. Again, I, I realize that there are a lot of Christians that have a lot of experience and they've been to a lot of different places and, they, and I don't doubt you know a lot of things. But, you, but, but when you come to a vision... That's a part of humility is when you come. I'm amazed in charismatic circles how little humility we exhibit. People will come to legacy and just, it amazes me, just been here a time or two. And then automatically, man, they know, they say, Pastor, I know what you ought to be doing. Really? Really? Wow. That's great. Golly, I've just been serving God for 32 years. Pastor 26 started this without a dime to my name and a paper clip in the file. And it's good that you've been here an hour and you've got the answer. Does that not seem just a tad bit presumptuous? Or maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the way I see things. But are you teachable? Be teachable. Number six, you must be willing to receive an impartation of the pastor's DNA. In other words, you got to be of the same spirit. That, that transfer has to have happened. Number seven, I, I believe, and we're going to talk about this, about loyalty. Because Amasai had to stand up. This is what Amasai had to do. He had to literally stand up and say out loud, we're yours, David. In other words, we're not fighting for Saul anymore. We're, we're, we're yours. We're here to help you. Peace to you. Peace to your helpers. For your God helps you. And we'll talk a little bit about loyalty in this first trimester because that's another lost concept and virtue that doesn't get taught much in the body anymore. And then number eight, it says that you must be endorsed and approved before you're released into the vision because it says that after they go through this process that David did receive them and then he made them captains of the troops. And so in other words, there was this process they went through, which I call endorsement, and that endorsement happens before one is released into the vision. Now, I put down here as well, number nine is we want people who have a sense of longevity. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you're building something, you want someone who's going to be here a while. Now, sometimes people aren't here very long because maybe they have a, a transient job or, or, or we've had military folk come and they've only been able to stay for a short while, and that's cool, and we're glad you're here, and, and we'll love on you, and, and, and we want you to worship with us and journey with us and... and Boy, I, I couldn't be happier, but if you're going to build, you got to find people who are going to hang with you for a while. And what I mean by that is that good times and tough times, when you're the best thing and when you're the worst thing, when everybody loves you and it seems like nobody likes you, I mean, you got to have some people who understand covenant. Now, I understand that all of this isn't marriage, but it's kind of like marriage. I mean, I mean, you're not in marriage just when it's good. I mean, you're in the marriage when it's tough, when you don't like each other. You may love each other, but you don't like each other. You say, you don't, you don't really have, you know, feel that way about your wife, do you? And, and Trace doesn't feel that way about you. Well, not now. <laughs> we often said, you know, divorce was never an option. Murder came up a time or two. See, we've lost this. The first tough moment that comes along, we're bailing. Come on. I tell you, when the fruit comes, the fruit comes 28 years. I, I'm telling you, we were talking to each other the other day, visiting. I'm telling you, I mean, I, I mean we loved each other. And, and those first weeks and maybe months were, were wonderful as, as you're newlywed and the excitement and the buzz and all the other neat things, you know, that are going on. But I'm telling you, after 28 years, it is better after 28 years. And I'll tell you what's good about it is now we fuss, if we fuss at each other, at least we know we're not going anywhere. I mean, there's something in you that knows, well, we'll get through it. We fuss, but we'll get through it. Amen. Sense of longevity 
And, and lastly, he sa- it says it made them uh, over the troops. You've got to be willing to battle for the vision. You know what? And we're going to talk about this when we get to some loyalty concepts. But here's the deal. The first time you're in a battle, I, and I guess I don't know any other way to teach it except just teach it up straight. I, whenever I teach authority, I'll mention this again. I used to wait in, in my heart because I never wanted to teach something that seemed self-serving. And so I would stay away from certain lessons because I just, I thought, well, that could be, that could be misunderstood as self-serving. And so I didn't teach those things. But I began to learn through the years that you, you live under such misunderstanding that it don't matter. And I kept waiting for someone to ride over the hill to teach something that needed to be taught, but they never did come over the hill. So I just decided that if you think I'm being self-serving, then you don't know me very well. And so I just decided that I was gonna, I was gonna start teaching things, and if people thought my motives were wrong, there's nothing I can do to change that, but it's still truth. It's still truth, no matter what you think about me, it's still truth. Authority is still true, whether you think I'm a good one or not. It's still true. So, so the last point is you must be willing to battle for the vision. And the reason we do this is because there will be times, hear me now, that, 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 the media will show up and they'll promote your ministry and they'll put you on the front page of the paper and they'll run you on TV and everybody think, will think you're the greatest thing in the world. You wait. When, we, when it comes time to dedicate a new building, I'll have politicians calling me on the phone wanting to show up and, and everybody will want to show their face and the paper will do this. And I've been there before. I know what happens. But the problem is, is that the minute that... that adoration shifts. And let me just say this, the same crowd that cheered Jesus into Jerusalem was the same crowd jeering him when they put him on a cross. Jesus himself couldn't keep the crowd's affirmation only but a week. So things change. And the minute things change, what happened to all the people he was discipling? They were gone. Now, That makes me feel better knowing that Jesus got to pick his 12, and that's what happened. But I've also learned enough to know that within the scriptures, there are things that we are taught, and one of the things that we're going to teach, and I believe Jesus taught them that too. He told them to get ready, get prepared. He said things like, he who endures to the end will be saved. He's the one that said the kingdom's going to have to be pressed into. He started to share with them these things, and they forgot. But we need to teach things that when... When the vision here gets contended for, I need people who will stand with me and not against me. I need people who will hold my arms up and not try to stick a knife in my side. I need people who will stay by the stuff and not run off at the first sign of a cross. Are you following me? How does that happen? It doesn't just happen. It gets imparted into you. We link for battle. And some days you don't like your captain. Some days you don't like your drill sergeant because he's hollering at you at boot camp. And you're, you're not worried about the enemy. You want to shoot your drill sergeant. But you're glad for him the moment you see the enemy coming over the hill. Because you know exactly what to do. And together you prevail. That's what this is all about. So when the youth group gets attacked or when the, the age areas get attacked or worship gets attacked or we get attacked or the principle of the 12 gets attacked or our understandings of authority or, 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 or tithing or whatever it is gets attacked, it's not like everybody goes, oh, it seems like more people are over here. This is what I believe. Sorry about that, Dan. I just went out of the picture. That was prophetic, though. You're out of the picture. You don't need, you don't need finger lickers. That works for Kentucky fried chicken, but it don't work in the church. You need people who, whatever way the wind's blowing, they're standing in their pea patch beating up Philistines. Hallelujah. I think there's an anointing that has come. But out of that, God can multiply and He can shake nations. I believe that with all my heart. Amen? Like I told you, man, this is the school of maturity. School of maturity. All right, we're just getting started. This is good. It's reminding me of all kinds of things that I need to tighten up on. For some of you, 
Tighten up, man. God's got big plans for you. I believe he's got big plans for us all. Exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. If we'll just do it his way. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Father, I pray right now as we just conclude this time together. That there would start in this place tonight. Now for some it's, it's already happened and has continued to take place. But for some that have gathered here, this is, this is new. And they're in the beginning of a journey. And, and Lord, we love them and we're excited about having them. And, and yet I pray that at this moment there could be downloading that takes place. Lord, we realize that it's not like just going in and, 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 and getting a, a, a transfusion where in 30 minutes it's over. We realize some of this takes time. But at the same time, there's a starting place. And Lord, I pray tonight that, that whatever you have done in me, your word to me tonight, Lord, is freely you have received. Now freely give. Lord, whatever it is you've done in me, whatever good thing, whatever noble thing, whatever God thing that's been done in me. And Lord, I pray right now even for Trace because she's the closest one to me. And I pray right now that all that you have done in her as well, every good and noble, virtuous thing, Lord, that right now you would begin to release that into the congregation that's gathered here. Lord, each of them are individually anointed, yes. But I believe there's a double portion that awaits them. And Lord, I'd not be so presumptuous to say that it has to be me or it has to be Trace, but I know that for this season right now, this is where they're at. And I pray right now that you begin that download in them. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I ask you right now that every every shortcoming, every, every defect. Lord, the things that obviously aren't of you but are just my humanity or Tracy's humanity. Lord, would you, would you not download that but let them catch just you somehow, some way, even through us. And Lord, may they be enlarged and may they do even greater works. As Jesus looked at his disciples and said, greater works than these shall you do. Lord, I look at them, and and I'm not the Lord, but Lord, let that precept come out. And may they do even greater things than I would ever do. Greater things. I believe, Lord, you're doing that. You're preparing that and orchestrating it. May it be so in Jesus' name. And if you can begin to receive, then just say amen and so be it. Amen, and so be it. Amen.